those conversations uh, this uh, year, trying to take advantage of Zoom and things like that. Um, so that's fun. Well, uh, one thing we've learned this year is that nothing can replace face-to-face -face conversation, right? And we see it there. We see the communication breakdown. Uh, we bought at our house, uh, like a while ago when we were building the house, we bought some uh, cameras for like the front door and just kind of keep an eye on the property when it wasn't there. But I just got Wi-Fi, so I got them up and running finally. And so I got like a camera at my front door and a camera at my garage door. And it's cool because it's like all app-based, so I can see if any motion is detected at my house, I get a little alert and I can like see kind of what's going on at the house. And uh, what's been fun is when I've been away, my kids picked up on the fact that when they walk by the thing it clicks and a little light comes on and that they understand that they're on cameras they've been having a lot of fun with that you know I'll be at work and they'll be you know dancing around at the camera or they also figured out that you can like talk to the camera and I can actually like hear what they say and so they're leaving little messages for me and things like that you know making faces at me and all that kind of stuff and so I've been having fun too because there's actually a little button on it where you can talk back to them it's a little delayed, though, so I'm like, I'll be like, stay out. you got to stay out there if you actually want me to talk back, and I'll talk back. But I've been having fun with it, too. You know, Jess will be walking by the car, and I'll be like, hey, girl, you know, stuff like that. She doesn't think it's very funny, but I, I think it's funny. And uh, so it's been fun to kind of wall away, just get to check in on them and, and, uh, and interact, and they give me a nod and a wave from time to time. And so uh, we stay in touch throughout the day. Now, if I told you that that was really the extent of my relationship with my family, you'd be like, you don't have a relationship with your family, right? If it was just a nodding away from my kids from time to time, or if it was just me kind of hollering at them over the speaker, like, hey, keep it up, have a great day, those kinds of things, it would be something, but it wouldn't be the entirety of a relationship. Now, I just want to admit to you, I think we all can fall into these patterns where when it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes it feels less tangible, and so we just kind of give God a nod and a wave sometimes, right? And I think we can all fall into this pattern of sort of just, I'm operating in one lane in one place, and God's operating in his lane in his place, and it becomes easy to find this disconnect in our relationship with God. Now, Today, what we're talking about is we're talking about this part of this scripture that we've been uh, camped out in. If you want to drop that on the screen real quick, if we have it. Um, and we've been looking at 2 Chronicles, and it's really this prayer, uh, a response to a prayer that the Israelites uh, were praying in dedication of the temple. And in response, God says, hey, listen up to the Israelites. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, pray... And here's the part we're going to look at today. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And so as an extension of God's people, this was first written to the Israelites, there is implication for us. We have the ability to and really the call to seek God's face. Now, God's desire for us is to have that level of irreplaceable relationship that only exists in face-to-face. Because God understands way more and way better than we do that there's nothing that could replace face-to-face. -face. And so what does it look like to see God's face? That's what we're going to be digging in on. Now, the Hebrew word here is the word panem, which can be translated as uh, presence. When it's talking about the face of God, it's talking about the very presence of God. Because it's an interesting concept. When you think like, seek his face, what does that mean? Well, it means to seek God's presence, to seek his being. And the Israelites, they would have understood this concept well. So God is calling us to seek his presence. He desires to be known by us and to know us personally. 
I was driving down the, the driveway the other day with Eli in the back seat, and he has this little thing that he can, like, draw. Just It's like a little magic pad where you draw on it, and then you can hit the button, and, like, everything's gone. And So he's back there, and I'm like, hey, buddy, what are you drawing back there? And he goes, oh, I'm just drawing God. I'm like, oh, interesting. I was like, I can't wait to see what he looks like, you know? Like, this should be interesting. And, um, you know, it's fun, it's fun, his imagination. But while we don't know maybe necessarily what God looks like in the physical sense, What we do know is that God has shown himself over and over again throughout history. And he's shown himself to the people of Israel. He showed up guiding them by cloud and fire in the Old Testament. He's shown himself through the prophets, and he's revealed himself and spoken directly to his people throughout the Old Testament, speaking uh, through prophets. And he gets closer still by still showing his face through his son Jesus. As 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God has shown his face through the person of Jesus. But God shows himself even more intimately than that, if you can imagine that. Galatians 1, 15 through 16 says, but when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, now, you might think that's like a typo, that, that when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, right? So don't you mean to me that God revealed his son to you? No, what it's saying in Galatians is that God has revealed his son in us, that we, have, we can actually possess the very presence of God within us. And this is an interesting thought when we really think about it, and it helps us as we think about this idea of what it means to seek God's face, that Christ actually dwells in us. So if that's true... If God is pleased to show his face to us and invites us to seek his face, that's really what we're after today. But if that's true, what I want to do today is just look at some of the practical ways that we do that. What does it look like to do that, to put that in action, to put that command in action? So the first idea I want to give you today is this, that we need to get ready, get ready. We first ready our hearts in pursuit of God's presence. And we all know, and I've been in a place in my life where sometimes I'm just not ready to seek God's presence. I'm not in that right place, that right mindset, and really that right heart space to seek God in the way that God wants me to seek him. Seek in the Hebrew um, is really this idea of desiring or requiring or needing. Getting to this place of if we're going to seek God's face, what it's saying is, that I require it, I desire it, I've got to this place where I just can't live without God's presence in my life. And it's getting to this place that we're ready at that level. You know, without desire, seeking is really dead in the water. It's not just a matter of the head, it's really a matter of the heart. David gives this pep talk to those that we're going to build the, so we're going to kind of rewind back into First Chronicles. David, as he's preparing his son and he's preparing uh, those that would go and build the temple, he gives them kind of a pep talk before they do that. And so he says this in First Chronicles 22, 19, he says, now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord, your God. Begin to build the temple, the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord. David's prayer is, God, give me an undivided heart. God, give me a heart that is wholly intent on seeking you. And so then he just instructs his leaders, listen, 
you got to set your mind and your heart on seeking. Seeking is not something that involves, seeking is something that involves the entirety of who we are, heart and soul. And it's really birthed out of this genuine desire. You know, one way we could define seeking is that seeking is an act of trust that's motivated by God's love for us. And the order of those two things is important. There's an act of trust that's motivated by God's love for us. God's love precedes it. We have an act of trust in response to God's love. That is our seeking. Brennan Manning, um, in a book, by the way, that if you want to pick up a book this year that would be really good, it's called Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning. It's a book that's been around for a while. But one of the things that he talks about in the book is he's talking about trust, and, and he's, he tells of this former seminary student that he has. Uh, and his, his name was Augustus Gordon. He says that he now lives uh, as a hermit six months each year in solitary cabin deep, uh, deep in the Smoky Mountains. Some of you, that sounds like paradise. Some of you are like, that sounds awful. I couldn't do that. Um, the remainder of the year, though, he travels the country preaching the gospel on behalf of food for the poor, which is a mission feeding the hungry and homeless in Haiti, Jamaica, and the Caribbean islands. As you can imagine, Brennan's pretty proud of Augustus and what he's doing. And he says that one visit with him, he asked him, he said, Gus, could you define the Christian life in a single sentence? He didn't even blink before responding, and he said this. He said, Brennan, I can define it in a single word, trust, trust. Maybe before we evaluate how we seek God, we should assess why we are seeking God in the first place. What's our motivation? Maybe some of you in this room this morning, you're saying, you know what? Um, I'm doing it for somebody. If I was just going to honestly assess my motivation, I'm doing it because my mom or dad are bringing me here. I'm doing it for my mom or dad, or I'm doing it for a spouse, you know. For now, I'm just doing it because it's in my best interest at home to come and be at church on Sunday, and my spouse is, 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 is kind of the driving force behind there. Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe for some of you, if you really thought about your motivation, it's purely intellectual, you're doing it because you want to learn theology, you want to expand your thinking. Maybe it's because, for some of us, you know it's what you should be doing. I should be reading my Bible, right? I should be praying, these kinds of things. And so it's kind of a should. You've gotten to the place where my motivation is that I should do it, so I'm just going to do it. And don't get me wrong, whatever has you seeking, keep seeking. However, those motivations will only carry you so far. The turning point is when our seeking becomes a trusting response to our understanding of God's radical, unconditional, unchanging, relentless love. I love the prayer that Manning offers as a prayer of uncompromising trust. He says this, Abba, into your hands I entrust my body, mind, and spirit, and this entire day, morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Whatever you want of me, I want of me. Falling into you and trusting you in the midst of my life. Into your heart I entrust my heart, feeble, distracted, insecure, uncertain. Abba, unto you I abandon myself in Jesus our Lord. Amen. What a great prayer. That gets us to the place where we are truly ready to seek. You know, love is the bedrock on which a trusting relationship is built. And God first loved us. God sought us first. We seek in response to God for seeking us. 1 John 4, 15 through 16 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God 
in them. We can seek his face because he first showed his face in the person of Jesus. The one who says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Instead, trust in God. Trust also in me. That's the invitation. That's the motivation. To seek Jesus with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength because he sought us first. So how do we keep moving forward then in pursuit of Jesus? First, we get ready. Second, we get alone. We get alone. You know, there's no replacement, and you know this, if any kind of relationship you have in your life, whether it be with your kids, whether it be with your spouse, there's no replacement to that one-on-one kind of time. And some of you, uh, like we do, try to carve out a little bit of one-on-one time every day, you know, to have that face-to-face time, that interaction, and and just quality time together. Um, And Jess and I, we, we try to do this on a regular basis and just spend time throughout the day. But with COVID, one of the things that had kind of happened, as with many of you all, is like we didn't get a lot of time like out, like to go out on dates and things like that. We had time throughout the day, but we didn't have those date nights, you know, like that were, you know, embarrassingly, we probably had like two, like in the entire year, two or three, because we're constantly shuffling around and trying to figure things out. But we, uh, we recently got to go out on a date and just just said this, she says this from time to time when we go out on dates, she says, you know, I really just, I remember when we like go out on dates how much I just really enjoy you. And I'm like, I don't know how to take that, you know, exactly. But I was like, you don't enjoy me the rest of the, no, I, I just, I remember how much I just enjoy being with you and I just enjoy time with you. I, I suppose it's better than the opposite. Like, you know, when we go out on dates, I remember how much I just really don't enjoy you, you know. So that would, that would not be, how much you annoy me, that wouldn't be great. Um, but getting alone is how we remember, right, how good God is. It's an opportunity just to simply delight in his presence. And as David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how, how often do you spend time just to, to step back one-on-one with God and just taste and see that the Lord is good? And I don't know if anyone else is like me, and you guys know this about me by now, but I'm the worst at, like, stillness. I'm the worst at sitting still. I, can't, I have to find something to do all the time. Like I, it's, it's a hard practice. It's a discipline for me to just sit still and do nothing. And all of my family tends to get this from me. I mean, none of them want to sit still. And even Jude is now at that place where I cannot get him, I mean, to just sit on my, I would just, I would just give anything. Just sit on my lap, watch some football, you know, that kind of thing. But that down, 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 down. All the, and then he's like into stuff. He's terrorizing the whole house. Like I just can't get him to just be still, right? And it, it seems that it's unnatural for us often just to sit still. But this is where our Heavenly Father wants to meet us. He wants to meet us in the stillness. Our Heavenly Father invites us into his lap, but most of us are too preoccupied to take him up on the offer. In 1 Kings There's this story uh, about Elijah, and he wants to go into the presence of God. He's actually kind of on the run. He's being chased down. His life is in peril. And so he is now uh, hiding out, and he wants to see God. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And so he has this opportunity to stand in God's presence. And then it says, a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain, tore the mountains apart, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, 
He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God meets him, not in the way, in the noise or the earthquake, but God meets him in the stillness, the still small voice. Why? Well, maybe God's waiting for us in the whisper. He's waiting for us to carve out enough space or to get alone in a way where he can speak to us in the whisper amidst all the noise that surrounds us. He's waiting to see who might turn down the noise, listen, and lean in. You know, we see the results. We see it over and over again, the results of living in a society that's lost its grip on stillness. I mean, it's not good. The results are not good. And these studies have been over and over again just proving how bad it is for our health to not just sit back and and meditate and spend time alone. Uh, A few years back, a study was done that analyzed people's inability to, to simply sit alone with their thoughts. They brought a bunch of participants in. They were given 15 minutes, and there was just one thing you had to do. You just had to sit there for 15-minute session and just do nothing. Every, almost the majority of people uh, found that it was undesirable just to sit there and just be alone. They couldn't do it. They just said they couldn't handle it. It was just, it was undesirable. And they did a second 15-minute session, and they were left in a room with only a button that shocked them. They were told, that button shocks you. If you hit that button, that will shock you. Send a shock through your body. Believe it or not, participant after participant pushed the button. They would rather be shocked than just sit there like alone. Like just, I, I just can't take it. I got to shock myself. Like I, why, you know, and we, we just can't really help it. And it's funny. It's also kind of startling. And I just got to, th- I mean, even with like our phones or whatever it might be, how much is it just an involuntary, like, I just can't, I can't help it anymore. Like I just, I have to, I have to reach for something. I have to do something. I can't just sit still. I can't be alone. I think we should stop and consider the way we are conditioning our brains. Even just the practical implications should be considered, but the spiritual implications are even even stronger and more important because there's no replacement for getting alone with God. And I believe until we overcome our struggle to be still, we will be insufficient at the pursuit of his presence because seeking involves getting alone. Seeking also involves getting together get together. You know, when Solomon was given that command, that verse that we've really been camped out on throughout this entire month, it wasn't just a response while while he was receiving the message. This was a response from God to all of Israel. If my people, right? If my people, plural, if they would come together, if they would fall on their face, if they would turn from their wicked ways, if they would pray, if my people, all of them, It wasn't a personal call, it was a collective call to the nation of Israel, the people of God, to you and me. And there's this growing belief in our day that we can divorce connection with God from community with others. That spirituality can be a solo sport. I hear it all the time in conversations, like, oh, I'm I'm good with God, like, I just really doing the church thing, you know? And we, we fall into these patterns. We fall into this belief that I can just trek it out. I'm, I'm motivated. I can do it on my own. Spirituality can be a solo sport for me. If you told the early church that, they would have laughed at you. Why? Because when their faith was under fire, they wouldn't stand very long if they were standing alone. Instead, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were, keyword together, and they had everything in common. Seeking was, not a sol- was never a solo sport. This past year alone should be adequate enough case study in that, right? I mean, it's, it's not easy to just go it alone. I don't think any of us will say, yeah, I, I was best when I was isolated from everyone else. I, did, I was just doing my faith all by myself. Rare is that case. And I wouldn't recommend trying that. So my question is, who do you have in your life that is pushing you deeper into God's presence? What does your company look like? Who are you seeking God with? And maybe you're like, well, I, I come to church. I've got people around me. I'm doing that whole thing. I'm not. Well, maybe you have Christian friends even. But are we inspiring and encouraging one another and seeking Jesus? Are we spurring one another on as it says in Hebrews. I, I had a guy even just recently share with me that he believed in God, but he lost faith in the church. And I, I, it, it kind of breaks my heart because I understand how that happens. It's a tragedy when it does because the church is made up of imperfect people and some people get burned by the church. This happens. But rare if non-existent are the examples of people that divorce the church, go it alone, and end up better, more devoted to the Lord. I, sadly, I've seen it play out time and time again. We need the accountability and encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when things get tough, especially when life gets disrupted, as we've seen this past year. You know, in 19, or sorry, in 1682, there was a devastating plague that hit Germantown, a German town, uh, and two-thirds of the population perished there. The fabric of the society was ripped apart. And poverty came on the heels of the devastation from the disease, and in the wake of the disaster, a remarkable rebuilding occurred. Within a few years, schools, orphanages, bookstores, museums, a chemical laboratory, hospitals, bakeries, farms, the list goes on. All of these things were rebuilt. And at the forefront of this impossible feat was a man named August Herman Frankie. He was moved by the plight of orphan children of that city, and he set out to rebuild the town. You know, Frankie's life, if you peel back the layers of his life, was changed because of the influence of a small group at his church, groups that operated like small churches within a church that were committed to seeking God by studying the scriptures, praying, and spurring one another on. He, he cites this as the thing that, that really spurred him on to do good in the world. And he said that prior to the influence of this group, he said, my theology I set in my head and not in my heart. It was much more a dead science than a living belief. Seeking God alongside other followers of Jesus brought his dead faith to life, set his life in motion, allowed him to become an agent for change in his time. And I just have to ask the question, how much more could we accomplish in our lives, in our families, in our time, in our generation, if we spent less time debating our differences and more time in shared pursuit of Jesus? We must get alone, we must get together, and we must get moving. That verse that we looked at earlier with David giving instruction to his son and the leaders of the temple, you notice he says, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord. And the next line behind that is, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that God's presence may be brought in. Arise. Okay, go seek God wholeheartedly. Now I want you to arise. I want you to go. I want you to set your life in motion, set your faith in motion, and get 
moving. I was driving home from church last week, and I'm just driving down the road. My kids are in the back hanging out, and uh, all of a sudden, I was talking to my mom, too, on the phone, a lot of stuff going on, and all of a sudden, my truck just decided that it was done moving. Like, it was like, it sh- like shut down, and like, I'm now just like, I can't figure out. It's like it's not in gear. I'm hitting the gas. Nothing's going on. And I've got like starting to like cars piling up behind me. Like I'm that guy that I'm like, what's going on with that guy up there? You know, I'm that guy now. And everybody's trying to figure, they're like, nobody's honking, but I got my flashers on and I'm just coasting. And I couldn't, like there was drop-offs on either side of the road. So I'm like, I can't, I had to wait for like an opportunity to try to like, and so I'm just like, I'm riding the hills. I'm like, all right, here comes the hill. And I ride down the hill. And then I, like, barely make it up, and then I hit another hill. I called Rob. I'm like, buddy, be on, because he was ahead of me a few cars. Like, be on standby. I might need you to bail me out here. But I finally just, like, coasted into this part. And I don't even, I still don't know what happened. I turned off the car. I turned it back on. I put it in drive, and it's worked fine ever since. I have no idea. But it's kind of a freaky feeling to be like, okay, I'm just coasting. I got, there's nothing I can do here. I'm trying to just look for my way out. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people in conversation this year that have described their, their, their lives and their faith kind of in a similar way, that they just feel like they're coasting. And maybe that describes you today where you're just like, you know what, like I don't, I, I'm just kind of, the momentum of the past is sort of carrying me at this point, but it's time for me to get moving again. And it may be that you don't need more insight or instruction. It might be that you don't need another sermon, although I'm all for sermons, you know. It might not be that, it, it might be that you need more action. It may be that you need to get your faith back and drive. As James says, faith without deeds is dead. So if we aren't moving in obedience, our faith is, is dying, is, is dead, or is on the way to it. Just to think about, are we actually living these things out? Are we setting these things in motion? Stephen and I, with our discipleship study, we actually developed a tool for this idea. And uh, there's essentially two sides uh, of a pendulum here. And on one side of the pendulum, we called it spiritual starvation. Now, spiritual starvation would be essentially low or no consumption of God's word. Like, I'm not, I'm, there's no intake of God's presence. I'm just starved for it. I'm, and, and there's a result that happens along with that, right? We can't live a life of spiritual satisfaction if we are stuck in this starvation mode where we're not taking in the things of God, right? Through studying his word, through prayer, through these kinds of things. Now, on the other side of that, there's a risk where you just, you take all the stuff in. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you're like, I got all the, I got, I got the Bible, I got all these scriptures memorized, like, I got the stuff in me, and I'm taking it in, and I'm reading theology books on the weekend, and doctrine books, I'm, I'm like taking it all in. But there's also a danger to be saturated to the point where it becomes stagnant, that I've never put it in motion, I've never put it into practice. We need both of those things. So for some of us, there's low or no implementation of God's word. If we want to be satisfied in our seeking of God, we have to balance consistent consumption of God's word and the things of God matched with ongoing application. We can't progress if we don't have God's presence fueling our tank, and and we will ultimately stall out if we don't invite God's power to put our faith in drive. So let me ask this. What is one truth of God's word you need to act upon in 2021? What's one thing you know? Because this is the thing maybe you keep coming back to or maybe as you've reflected, you just know there's an area of your life or something that you're just not, you haven't been chasing that. You haven't been living that value out, whatever it looks like. So what does obedience look like for you in this season? 
What does action look like? Psalm 24, 3 through 6, here's what David has to say. He says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. I'll leave you with one question. What if? What if? What if we did that? What would that look like for you personally? What would that look like for us collectively? Look, what would that look like for this community that we call home? If we did that, if we did that one thing, if we sought the face of God, sought the face of the God of Jacob, seeking his presence, living by his power. That's the invitation. And you start right now. You start right now. God is inviting you to seek him. And maybe it's just a quick prayer of God. Hey, I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm ready. Whatever it looks like, I'm ready. And maybe it's a first time kind of a decision where you're like, I need to accept Jesus because I've tried to do it on my own power. I've tried to, to coast and I've just ended up stalling out in life. And you need to invite his power back into your life. Maybe it's just an opportunity to say, you know what? I need to start seeking all over again. This is 2021. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year where I do that. I seek the face of Jacob, the God of Jacob. What if? What would that look like for you? Allow God to stir your imagination of what's possible as we seek him, as we chase hard after him, as we pursue his presence, live by his power. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness that we had the opportunity to sing about today. Thank you that despite the fact that we're broken and fractured and imperfect and if we're honest, we know that we're a mess without you. That's 